Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today at the Next Level Brands podcast, brought to you as always by the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, you should be part of the Next Level Brands community. Courses, workshops, founder coaching, resources, networking, and a whole lot more. More information is available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. Nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. Well, I'm Steve Clear. We've got an awesome show for you today. You know, when you see one of those products out there and you think, man, I really wish I'd thought of that. Then you look at the name and you go, wow, I really wish I'd thought of that. Well, my guest today actually did that. He's Tyler Mayoras. Is that correct? Yeah, Mayoras. Yep. Mayoras. Okay. And he's the co-founder and CEO of, folks, Cool Beans. All right? Seriously. <laughs> the best part is they have beans in them. More about that later. But what you should know is that Tyler spent more than 20 years in private equity investing, consulting, and is focused on sustainable food and agriculture. Prior to founding Cool Beans, Tyler was a principal in the Advantage Capital Food and Agricultural Fund, where he led transactions involving Shenandoah Growers, Navitas Organics, Farmhouse Culture, and Snack Sational Brands. In addition to leading Cool Beans, he continues support of other plant-based brands, such as being an angel investor and mentor for Simple Mills, Spiro Foods, Atmo Coffee, Lava, Renewal Mill, and Tiesta Tea. He's a board member of Naturally Chicago, an avid speaker on plant-based food and sustainable agriculture. He appears in the media, and today he's appearing on the Next Level Brands podcast. Welcome, Tyler. Hello, Steve. Thanks so much for having me on. No problem. I couldn't believe it when I first saw him. Cool beans. I went, cool beans. where was I hiding? You know, when <laughs> should have should have taken that out and copyrighted it a long time ago. But and by the way, awesome tasting products. So thank you. Right, right all, all the way around. It can be healthy, but it has to be good if it's gonna absolutely work. Nobody's know? gonna eat it if it doesn't taste great. So, you know, from the finance side, from your background, how did you move? First of all, did, did you move into the space from an investing standpoint or a personal lifestyle choice or, you know, vegan first or investor first? How'd that all happen? Well, I've been an investor for 20 plus years. I did do a stint of vegetarianism way back in the 90s, but most of the time I was an omnivore. And it was about five years ago. While I was an investor, I was at a conference focused on food, and they uh, were talking about the climate impact of animal agriculture. And they were throwing around a number of 16% of all greenhouse gases, which I frankly didn't believe. And I had to go calculate it myself. And I came back to Chicago and I used USDA and EPA data, and I calculated, believe it or not, between 16 and 19% of all greenhouse gases. So I came up with numbers even higher than theirs. And it's not just the animals, but it's the actual food that you grow for the animals. It's the fertilizer that you have to use to grow that food because it's all monocropped culture. And so it was just a huge, huge number. And I just, that's when I started to convert. And I, it took me about two months, maybe. Uh, and I was fully converted to vegan by the beginning of January 17th. Wow. Yeah. But when I did that, I wanted to eat healthy. And I was learning about the health benefits of a, whole food plant-based diet, but I was very frustrated by the frozen aisle. I, you know, when I went in there to try to find frozen food, it was just uh, frozen junk food, you know, a lot of vegan junk food and highly processed, lots of saturated fat. And I just didn't understand why there weren't 
whole food plant-based products. Right. And so we started Cool Beans with that intention that we're plant-based food, but from whole food ingredients. And we're off and running. And now there's several other people coming out with really clean label plant-based foods. And I think it's a great trend that I love seeing. So from in terms of wanting to satisfy to a certain extent your own need, recognizing then that that's kind of a white space that you have to go after. Did you look at something that you had previously enjoyed, like, you know, whatever, some type of burrito or some type of whatever handheld food and said, okay, that's the one, that's the one I want to try to replicate, but in a vegan format? Not so much. I mean, there were certainly some things that I could eat that, that were out there. I was doing a lot of cooking on my own. And it really was more of a journey that I, I started cooking whole food plant-based. And when I did that, I would make big batches because I'm the only vegan in the house. And other people would eat it and they loved it. They liked the taste because it's a very flavorful with a lot of spices, but they, they weren't, didn't consume it every day. And so I had extra and I'd freeze it or put it in the fridge. And that led to the idea of rolling it into wraps so that I could freeze it and take them to work. And so that's kind of where the idea was born that it's very easy to cook whole food plant-based. It takes time, but what was how do we make that transportable so I don't have to carry around a dish or something right, um, right. and cook it in a microwave? And that was the idea of creating wraps. And Tyler, not to, not to be flippant, but you were involved in the business end of emerging brands prior to doing Cool Beans. Didn't you think this probably isn't a good idea? <laughs> that that maybe i'm I'm, i I can look at my other you know i can look at my own numbers and go this isn't gonna work that's a great great question it is a hard business and i certainly knew it was a hard business from the outside as an investor i think i've learned more um in the last two and a half years exactly how hard it is it's it's definitely harder than it looks having said that I do know that white spaces exist, and when they exist, they typically get filled, and sometimes those brands can really take off and create big categories. So not everybody's a winner. You got to do a lot of things right. I luckily had the advantage of seeing a lot of things that went right and a lot of things that went wrong over my (laughs) 15-plus years in the food side. So I could try to pick and choose as best we could. It's it's the collective experience, I think, which is really good in in consulting, especially having worked with larger CPG companies to say, well, folks, you know, when I was working with Nestle, they tried this and it didn't. So I think right. probably you want to stay away from that and go, go somewhere else. Interestingly enough, so did you start out with, for Cool Beans, we'll get into the other stuff in a minute, but for Cool Beans, did you start out with a business plan? Did you start out with all the stuff that we all say we're supposed to have? No. So I had an idea and I put together a small little deck to try to talk to some other people I knew in the industry. And as I did that, the the idea, the concept really resonated with some people. And once I knew I had a group, one of the first people I talked to was Beyond Brands, which is a group out of New York that helps to launch brands. And they really loved, the two founders really loved the idea. So I knew that I could try to do something with them but then I needed to fund it. And then I went to a good friend of mine from business school, Mike Brennan, who used to run Peapod and has been um, in the industry a long time himself. And we seed funded the company. So the two of us seed funded it. We partnered with Beyond Brands. We found a food scientist and started developing products. 
that far exceeded our expectations and anything that I ever made on my own. And so that's kind of how we started. And then from that, once we knew we had products that we thought people would really like, and it was could be manufactured, that's when we started developing the business plan, created the model, and started how we're going to roll this out and go to market. So we were both at uh, Expo West, plant-based, certainly, if I had to you know, come up with a summary of what was Expo West 22, plant-based would be it. Yes. You know, definitely far forward. And unlike maybe 15 years ago, great tasting stuff, awesome textures, looks, you know, stuff looks really good, tastes really good, panel looks really good, nutritional panel. A lot of steps forward in that in that industry for sure in the last few years. Definitely. Yeah. It was the, the show was definitely dominated by plant-based. However, there's a whole new trend that's happening within plant-based that I love to see, which is this clean level, clean, clean label plant-based. Right. So the first iterations of a lot of products were very junky. And I think a lot of people scratched their head and said, wait a minute, the whole industry, food industry is going to clean label. And yet plant-based is just a bunch of Franken food that's highly processed. Why is that? So this wave now that you saw at Expo, wow, I was blown away. I mean, I saw some chicken nuggets that one one tasted. In fact, we did a taste test last night. I had some samples sent to me. And I don't know if you've heard of nowadays nuggets. No, I haven't. But It's a group up in San Francisco. Unbelievable. They taste just like chicken nuggets. And yet they have zero saturated fat, five grams of fiber, 13 grams of protein compared to, you know, regular chicken nuggets are going to have 25% saturated fat, yep. no yep. fiber because it's animal food. So it's just like, wow, entrepreneurs are taking it to a whole nother level. And, and we love to see that because we're all about whole food, plant-based. Let's get really clean labels, but products that taste great. Yeah. My, my area of concern is for the chickpea. I don't, I don't want the chickpea to went through what kale and Asahi did, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. like, but, and, and then where are we going to get all those chickpeas? It's like, it's a pea protein, right? Went through this last year where it was, I was looking at all the products in a, in a, in a demonstration thing. And I went, are we growing that many peas in this country? I, I just right. don't know how that, that happens, you know? Well, but, it's starting to fill in. I think right now you've got a real constraint on oats. Oats is a problem because of Oatly and all the success with oat milks. Yep. And so I think next year you will see a lot more farmers plant oats mm-hmm. and then it will fill in. There is definitely some pea protein issues, although to be honest, there have been three or four big groups that have launched pea protein yeah. Yeah. organizations up in Canada and whatnot that uh, are filling that need. So I think pea protein is probably fine right now. Oats is the biggest constraint. And then, of course, you got what's going on with Ukraine and Russia for wheat. It's a whole other animal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of people, I think, don't didn't really understand the the agricultural significance of Ukraine to Europe, you know, and and now they now they are. It's it's yeah, it's one of those things. What how does the plant based at this point in terms of we're talking about production? How does that dovetail with regenerative agriculture and, you know, just plowing a bunch of stuff under and growing wheat's not the answer either? Yeah. So I think that there's two really big trends, well, really three, that are driving in the food industry related to climate change. And because the food food industry is 35% of all greenhouse gases. So you really need to address 
food if you're going to try to solve the problem. And so one of those is certainly plant-based, moving toward a plant-based diet or more of a plant-based diet. It's not that everybody has to be vegan, but eat a lot more plants because animal agriculture has a much bigger impact on climate. Two is regenerative. That's certainly a big push. And really what that means is planting a wide diversity of plants. Yeah. That by doing that, you end up, each one of those plants puts a different nutrient in the soil, which helps all the other plants to grow. And you don't have to create all this fertilizer, which is very carbon intensive. The way they make liquid nitrogen is ridiculous. And and it's um, extremely carbon intensive. So if you can move toward regenerative, that helps the soils which ultimately results in less climate change. And soils also can hold carbon, in, and so they sequester carbon. And then the third area is upcycling ingredients right. and reducing food waste, because if you're all that food that was created, whether it's a scrap from the other food or whatnot, it has carbon associated with it. It needed carbon to create it and you don't want to waste that. So if you can you have find another use for it that isn't feeding animals or going into a landfill, then that's very beneficial. Right. So those are big three big food that's trends right. related to climate. Yeah. So from you know being mentor, advisor, investor, on the cool bean side, are you did you carve off some space for yourself as, you know, chief officer, whatever, to build that company. And you get to kind of do with that as opposed to the consultant role that you and I both work at, but we also know sometimes you can give good advice, but it doesn't happen. How is that different for you? Yes. So we, luckily, I kind of co-run this with Mike Brennan, my partner, and and we have very complementary skills, which is great. Yeah. And so that is very helpful. Then we have two other people that work on it. Semi, you know, not nobody is really full time, but everybody's doing other things too. But Karen Roafric, who is somebody that Mike knew from his Peapod days, and then Mark Daskow, who comes from the Beyond Brand world, and he he works with us. And so we all have different roles within the company, and we grow it. And frankly, it's just like you know, it's not really, and nobody's really running the company. It's the four of us together, each with different responsibilities and whatnot. So that, and that works very well. As we grow, we very much, once we get to a size that could attract a CEO, we certainly um, are willing to step aside and bring in a full-time CEO. What was, what was really important for me to be involved early on was the founder story and living the lifestyle. And so I did this for a very re, uh, real reason that I know exists in a white space in the industry. And so I can tell that to people and they understand it, whether they eat plant-based or they're flexitarian, it doesn't matter. Yep. They understand. Overall, Tyler, in, in your view, there were just terrible things and still are terrible things about the pandemic. It really has accelerated a lot of good things too, You know, whether it's label reading or just a bigger concern by the consumer for what they're putting into their body or, I mean, any of those things. I mean, there has been a, which I don't know, but it seems to me as though the acceleration has been so rapid in those, just like it was in e-commerce, right? All of a sudden, you know, we're five, seven years down the road, we were supposed to be. And it kind of came back a little bit, but it hasn't come back anywhere near what people thought it was going to. 
So, right. you know, so, and that's, you know, what, what is, what are the impacts that you saw from, you know, and you guys started it obviously in 2019 too, cool beans. What happened? How'd you deal with it? Yeah. So we actually launched in the beginning of 2020, just before COVID. And so it definitely slowed things down from a reset standpoint. A lot of uh, retailers just wouldn't put new products on shelf yep. because they couldn't keep their own products going in. So that was a big impact. It slowed down resets. That's come on pretty strong in the last year, though, which is great. And more and more people are looking at new products, et cetera. I think that it accelerated the move to plant-based foods for sure, because people understand that most of these pandemics get a foothold or grow out of the animal agriculture industry. And whether it be the chickens or the the pigs, what whatnot, and right. swine flu, et cetera. And then it accelerated the move to e-commerce, but it also kind of accelerated a move back to cooking at home. So people were at home more and doing things at home. So the grocery industry has boomed during this time frame, really taking revenue away from food service. That will change back as people go out to more restaurants now yeah. that the pandemic is hopefully slowing down. But it's it's gotten people a little bit more focused on what they're cooking, what they're eating, etc. So I think that they're accelerating that move to cleaner labels, better nutritional value, and all those factors. I, I think on the retail side, I mean, it, it, certainly they were impacted in, in many ways, just, you know, incredible amount of pressure, incredible amount of supply chain issues. Our friends in the restaurant and food service business, oh my God. I mean, just, yeah, I have friends who are restaurateurs, you do too, I'm yeah. sure. And just the whole thing is like amazing, you know, or even on our emerging brand side where, you know, I've worked with emerging brands, two of whom were focused on food service. That's how they were growing the business. Wow. And all of a sudden, wham, you know, and so it's like, well, shift to retail, but can't get a hold of the buyer, but that's okay. We'll do it. How do you think the retailers have done in, in terms of reacting to the pandemic and reacting to the pressures? Well, I think they've done great in just dealing with, I mean, just think about your business is going to be 30 to 40% bigger. That's not easy to deal with. The hardest problem for all of them, both the distributors and the retailers has been labor, as well as the co-packers and getting good labor that stays because they all are experiencing huge turnover. And so that's unfortunate. It's been the biggest challenge that probably any CPG company has faced over the last three years is one, making sure that you can ma- manufacture your product. So the co-packer issues. Two, the distribution, getting it, you know, just getting product into the UNFI and KE warehouses and having those products delivered to the retailers sounds easy, but it's not. And when there's uh, limited space available, there's prioritization going on with bigger brands that have been around for a long yeah. time. And so it's very difficult to keep your products on shelf. So that's been the biggest struggle. And then lastly, this whole reset slowdown so that new brands couldn't, wouldn't be found. And people didn't want to spend a lot of time in the grocery store during the height of the pandemic because they wanted to move through and get out and not be exposed. Right. Exactly. So they weren't shopping for new brands necessarily. I, I took a photo at, at, at Albertsons at the end. So the meat counter and stuff at the, at the end, and the, they have some frozen bunkers there with full of, you know, frozen ribs, chicken, whatever else. And in the background is the paper aisle and the paper aisle is right at the beginning of this was the beginning of the pandemic. The paper aisle is almost empty. There's like nothing. Toilet paper all gone, diapers all gone, whatever. 
the meat case is overflowing. And it's like, okay, only in America would people make sure that they have everything stocked up for paper goods and leave protein just sitting in the, yeah, in the right. store. It's like, wow, it was very, very, very different. But yeah, and the other thing I think probably somewhat good and, and bad, bad part for emerging brands, a lot of buyers, you know, sort of, as you mentioned, shut down, they weren't taking a look at new products, they weren't doing resets and whatever else. But we also went to a lot of non-in-person meeting stuff with buyers who all of a sudden were able to actually review twice as many products a day, at least, right? And maybe you could sneak it in there. And if you had a good Zoom presence and your samples were good, you know, you could figure that out. For cool beans, Tyler. And by the way, and by the way, from what I've heard from several different people in in those organizations and whatnot that's a trend that's going to stick around they like zoom meetings they don't want people coming to their office and they i i don't think we're going to see a lot of in-person come back for retail buyers yeah in the future and 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 i'm I'm sure pretty sure you've probably been to the albertson's headquarters here in boise and you know you go into albertson's and you go into the foyer and there's a receptionist there and she calls up he calls up you wait, you sit, right. they come downstairs through the big atrium, through the elevator, through the metal detector, whatever, greet you, chit chat, back through the metal detector and the security guard, back through the atrium, back up. Well, that's 20 minutes both ways. Yeah. Oh right. my God. You know, you do, you do that five times a day. And yeah, so I think it's going to, going to continue. How did you handle for cool beans? How'd you handle getting people to try it and stuff when we couldn't demo and sample? That's a great question. That was one of the biggest challenges for sure on in a pandemic world because so many so many retailers require you demo product in their stores, Whole Foods in particular, Costco. And with the pandemic, that completely shut down. However, we found a, a new program that and now there's three or four people doing it, but it's called digital demoing. Yep. And I think it's a trend for the future that frankly, I hope we don't go back to live demoing just because I think it's so much more efficient. The the group we use is called Social Nature, and they have a cohort of a million people across the country in the U.S. that have opted in to try products along uh, in their diet category, whether they're keto or paleo or vegan or flexitarian. And they'll see products. They pick ones they want to try. And if that person is within 50 miles or five miles of a store that we want to send them into, then they will get a coupon in the mail and try it. But we get some good, we get some good survey data on the front end and the back end. And they also review the product a lot of the time. So we have 8,000 reviews now on their landing page. And so we get a really good sense for what's working, what's not, what people like. And we're also then converting people to users, which is great because which is way, getting way to try it. it. Yeah. yeah. Social nature, Analia crew has been on the show, you know, talked about in, in my experience with larger brands, when we analyze what demos actually cost when, you know, you were hiring a third party or hiring whoever the, the retailer decides is going to do it. We started doing coupon sampling for free product because giving away free product was cheaper than sampling product for X number of store days. And it's just way better. And we could sometimes get the product to people that we knew were in the target audience, not just the people that were running up and down the, you know, 
the aisle. So it was a, right. lot, a lot better. And this is a wonderful yeah. extension of that. Exactly. And then there's also shopper marketing programs with the retailers, that you, the bigger retailers anyway, that you can run. So they, they have apps and you can run digital coupons on those apps for very targeted individuals that would fit like somebody that bought a competing product or somebody that bought some other plant-based product. Yep. And so that, that is another way to get trial and drive trial, yep. which is what you have to do. Switching gears for a minute, Tyler, from let's get back to the investment side of it and stuff. You have the fund. What sort of stuff do you look for and how do you how do you pick a winner or you know what could you pass along to folks that might think, you know, well, maybe we want, you know, we need some funding because everybody does. What do right. you look for? So I have been an angel investor for many years. And and as an even when I was a private equity investor, if it wasn't something that fit with the fund, because it was a very focused fund on rural America. Right. Um, if it was outside of those parameters, I could look at things as an angel. And I've been investing as an angel probably since probably 2010, something like that. Yeah. But And so then now I'm also an advisor to this vegan fund, Beyond Impact, that is taking animals out of the supply chain and really focused on climate change and things like that. So we, we have a little bit different. When, when, we, when I look at things as an angel, it's almost all climate-driven. But also, I wouldn't invest in animal product companies at this point. But it's really a little bit broader around climate. So upcycling is very important to me. Indoor agriculture is important. And then plant-based foods and, and some, a couple other areas. The, the, the Beyond Impact, which is really a fund out of Switzerland, that they're on their second fund. They are trying to take animals out of the supply chain for both cosmetics, food and beverage, oh, okay. uh, and yeah. household products and fashion. So they're looking at a lot of different areas and they invest around the world. And so I'm really looking at U.S. opportunities for them. Right, for them. Yeah. And so and that one, so clearly you're looking for really big opportunities, things that can really move the needle, if you will. That nugget um, uh, test we did last night was one that was for for them. And I was, I was really kind of blown away how clean label. I mean, if you, you have to kind of ask yourself the question, if the product tastes a lot like chicken, a chicken nugget, and it's that clean label with high in fiber, no saturated fat, and um, good protein, and you can get kind of close and cross parity, why would a mother ever buy a chicken product again? Right, right. Why yeah. would you feed your kid chicken nuggets with 25% saturated fat yeah. if this product tastes as good? So it's kind of an interesting world right now, for sure. It's, it's, I think the experimentation with meat substitutes and, and, and that's a whole, that's a whole debate too, of meat substitute versus I have something here that really tastes good. I don't need to say that it's faux tuna. I just need you to taste it and like it. But the experimentations at fast food with re meat replacement has not really been very successful. I mean, right. in, in terms of like people try it, it looks really good for about six months. And then all of a sudden boop, it's gone because it's not. Right. So, but that may be performance. I mean, we're in a, we're still in an early stage with a lot of these products, but you've, got, you've had one at least that you're really excited about. And now I, you know, would, would love to try them too, because again, it's that thing of, I don't need to, and I forget who it was. It was, but it was somebody at fancy food show and they were serving burgers, you know, a half a burger with ketchup and whatever else. And it was entirely plant-based. And I would, if, if you really hadn't have told me, I wouldn't have known. I just would have right. thought it was a burger. 
And I said, yeah, well, that's, and that's the thing you have to be careful with, especially at a show like Expo West, is almost all of the time they're burying it in sauce. And really, right. it's, a, it's just a vehicle <laughs> for sauce. Right. And so right. what you're tasting is the sauce. Last night, we did this taste test. I, I refused anybody to have sauce. So there were the five sauce. of us that were tasting and said, no, you're tasting it as is against this other competing brand. And we want to just see what you think of the raw product. And I think that's the key way to do it. But, you know, the way we look at things at Cool Beans is we love all the meat alternatives because they're bringing people over to plant-based and they're getting them into the door. And then ultimately, we want to convert them or get them to also try eating products like ours that are made from whole food plants, Mm -hmm. whole plant ingredients with a wide diversity of plants. That's part of our core tenet is all of our products have a wide diversity of plants. So in our five SKUs, five different flavors, we have 24 different plants. And that's really important for your gut health because all those different fibers grow different gut bacteria, which are really beneficial. And so you need to, you're you're supposed to eat about 30 different plants a week to really foster good gut health. And so we, that's an important part for, for us. If, if people, by the way, are interested in finding cool beans, what's the web address we can go to? Yeah, it's eatcoolbeans.com. That's also our Twitter page and our Facebook page. And then on Instagram, we're at lovecoolbeans. Instagram, lovecoolbeans. And conventional grocery distribution, where are you guys? Yeah, so far we're in Sprouts and Safeway NorCal. We're in Wegmans in the East Coast, PCC, Good Eggs, a lot of of regional type chains. We just heard that we're going to be going into Harris Teeter in May. So we're very oh, excited awesome. about that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Good. Good place. Okay. All right. Good so you're getting out there. Yeah. All right. And do you do D2C at all? So we don't from our website. We may in the future. We we want to make sure that we do it in a very environmentally right. that's, sensitive yeah, yeah. way. And so it's got to be compostable packaging, things like that. So we're exploring all that. But we do sell through a couple retailers that deliver around the country, including Vegan Essentials. Okay. And we're talking to a couple other ones as well. Yeah. it's I, I saw a promotion for a, a delivery meat, delivery beef, delivery company, and it was about grass-fed and how much better it was for the environment. And the beef actually comes from New Zealand. You imagine oh, the, the footprint yikes. that it has getting to your door in the United States. Like, yeah, really, folks? Yeah, one of the misnomers about grass-fed, because we looked a lot at that at Advantage, is there's not enough grass. So it could be a little niche, but it could never solve the problem. And this whole idea that grass-fed is really the solution for meat eaters, it really isn't because there's not enough grassland in the country to actually grow grass-fed Support. meat. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you, right now, the CAFO system is the only way that it works. And it's, you know, it's a horrendous situation, but we just don't have already, if the rest of the world ate meat at the rate we eat meat in the U.S., we would need four planets to grow all the food for those animals, which is crazy. Yeah. So hopefully they won't come up that way. It's, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of, you forget that. And then you go travel in Europe and, or Asia and, and same thing is you just don't, you don't see it. You don't get it that way. And, and we're, we're too, um. We're too used to having all that. It, interestingly enough, the and, and again, don't want to wish inflation on anybody, but the recent price hikes and a lot of stuff, I think, has been a lot of pent up pricing. There were a lot of people who were holding pricing whose 
fiber had gone up, their film had gone up, their trucking had gone up. And all of a sudden they, they sit down and read to their cogs and went, oh my God, we have a problem. And so you do that. And the next guy does that. And I, I'm still concerned because of course we have, you know, the stuff going on in Europe and really don't know what the effect is going to be on fuel prices in the end. I mean, you know, up one day down the next, whoever, but you know, trucking and transportation is so dependent upon that and still half our packaging dependent upon that petroleum based. Right. So it's like, if somebody wants a guarantee for, from a co-manufacturer for next year's pricing, can't get one. There's no way. It's a, it's a tough environment right now. The, the, The logistics in general have gone up dramatically in cost. Uh, especially we, we don't luckily bring anything from overseas, but if you bring anything on a container, oh. most people have seen four five, six times increases in, in cost yep. for containers, which is crazy. Um, yep. But even the trucking around the country is, is a lot higher. Wheat prices, luckily we don't have wheat in any of our products. We're gluten-free, but wheat, there was a period, and I don't know if it's stopped now, but there was a period, I think it was seven or eight days straight. They had been limit up in the price of wheat on the futures market, yep, the future market yep. which is crazy. That means that they, they went up the maximum they're allowed to go up each day for seven or eight days straight. Right. Uh, so that pressure, and that's related to the 25% of wheat that comes out of Russia and Ukraine combined. So there are a lot of pressures right now. Hopefully the Fed can get it under control because rampant inflation is not good for anybody. Nope. No, but it is something we're all dealing with in the industry right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, working with some people who've been told by their, you know, their corrugate supplier that expect two more price increases this calendar year, maybe three. It's like, well, well, how do I, how do I build that? (laughs) I've already given my cost to the buyer, right? Right. It's, it's, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a real challenge, but that's, that's awesome. So, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting about that is, the price moves up so much that it might make it economical to really consider compostable packaging, which I would love to see more people do. We're going to look at it for sure. But if it, you know, if that price of plastic just keeps going up because of oil prices, suddenly compostable gets closer to parity and we could just switch over because compostable would be the answer to eliminating a lot of this plastic waste floating around the world. Yeah, I was talking with somebody the other day about a lot of the stuff with sustainability and composting and, and, and a lot of those drivers. All of a sudden, the C-suite guys at the bigger companies are signing on, yes. then going and telling the rest of the folks, hey, this is where we're going to be by 2030. Get on it. And the brand managers are going, what? What are you talking about? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I know. But we've got to hit that goal because I signed up for that, you know. Right. Which, is, which right. in the end will be a good thing. That will be, you know, that'll be a positive, positive driver. It will be. It'll be a great thing for the world. And, and there's a lot more viable packagers now that can do it. So I think that over the next 10 years, we're going to see a huge switch. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, hey, Tyler, what about next for Cool Beans? Build distribution? You got any new product ideas? Any new format things coming down the line you can Oops. talk about? Or not talk about ask that question. Yeah. So we we don't yet have specifics, but we are in the process right now of developing our second product line. Also, we'll be in the frozen aisle. And it will be something else that will be made from whole, you know, our guardrails are whole food ingredients. So you're going to see whole food ingredients, plant-based, gluten-free, all the same factors that you saw in our burritos, but for some other 
great tasting, convenient product in the frozen aisle for awesome. people to find. Yeah. So we're working right. on it. I want some samples. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So this is the segment of the show where we, we try to put you on the spot a little bit, Tyler. So, but you're going to do this easily because you've already, your advisor, your consultant, you do this every day. We call it words to grow by, and it basically is a, a word or a phrase, a great quote, whatever you have that you want to leave with fellow entrepreneurs that make up our audience. What do you have for us today? Uh, my word would be adaptable. In, in this environment and anytime you're in a CPG environment, you have to be constantly talking to and looking at your customers and seeing how their needs are changing and making sure that you're adapting to that, but then also adapting to what the market's doing. So if they're not resetting, what else can you do? You know, if you were food service and you had to completely pivot to retail, yeah, this is just one of those environments where you have to be adaptable because the typical playbook often goes exactly. out the window. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So. That's great. Great advice. We will, we will definitely be passing that along. Well, hey, great. I thank you for taking the, the time to be with us today and chat about Cool Beans and, and, your, and your other work. I know you're busy. Thanks, Steve. I really enjoyed great. it. Great. Thank you very much. No problem. We'll have you back on after the new product comes out and you can talk about, Great. you know, get that extra distribution. So thanks, Great. Tyler. And by the way, thanks to everyone else for joining us here at Next Level Brands Podcast. Our podcast is sponsored by the Next Level Brands community. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's two X's. We're always grateful for feedback and comments. If you have an idea for a show or a special guest, please feel free to reach out and let us know. If you're enjoying the show, please follow us, take a minute to subscribe, and most important, refer us to your friends after all, the more, the merrier. I'm Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands Podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.